Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. Two weeks ago, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced a plan to send tens of thousands of asylum seekers on a one-way ticket from Britain to Rwanda. This innovative approach will provide safe and legal routes for asylum. That same day, in the Rwandan capital of Kigali, UK Home Secretary Priti Patel signed the controversial UK-Rwanda agreement with the country's foreign minister. This will see some of those arriving illegally in the UK, such as those crossing the channel in dangerous small boats, relocated to Rwanda to resettle and to rebuild their lives. In the world. So what exactly will this new deal mean for asylum seekers who reach Britain? Anybody who arrives into Britain by uh, an unauthorized route, which basically is kind of almost any route to seek asylum, they can be sent to Rwanda where their asylum claim will be processed. Dennis Daunton is the Irish Times London editor. If they are granted asylum, then they will be given asylum in Rwanda. They won't be brought back to Britain where they could live. It would all happen in Rwanda. The UK government says its new plan will deter people from making the risky journey across the English Channel and clamp down on human trafficking. But human rights organisations, church leaders and MPs across the political spectrum say the plan is cruel and will only lead to more human suffering and chaos. I'm Sarah Chapalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, what is the UK-Rwanda deal and will it work? Dennis, why is this deal between the UK and Rwanda happening now? It's been a long-term problem uh, politically, has been the fact that there are all these migrants, people coming across the channel from France in small boats. Across the world's busiest shipping lane, in overloaded rubber dinghies, dozens or sometimes hundreds of migrants are crossing from France to Britain to seek asylum almost every day. And over the last few years, it's become a particular problem because uh, it's very visible. The numbers have been growing. They sort of dipped a bit during the pandemic, but there were uh, nearly 30,000 people across last year. They're expecting that uh, that there'll be more this year. And obviously, as the weather gets finer, this becomes a more visible problem. It's also a political problem because a lot of the people who vote Conservative and have voted for Brexit They wanted uh, immigration to be controlled. And this is a very visible expression of the fact that immigration is not being controlled. Where are you from? Sudan. 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 You have no engine? And you've got local elections coming up in uh, Britain on the 5th of May. And this is has been something that has been raised on the doorsteps by a lot of Conservative voters. And so the government wanted to uh, to do something and to be seen to be taking uh, you know, sort of real action against this. The other uh, argument that they make is that essentially the people who come over here are the victims of people traffickers. And they say that as long as uh, there's some kind of chance that people are going to be able to get asylum in uh, Britain, that uh, that this business model is going to work. And so part of the purpose of the whole thing uh, is whether anybody goes to Rwanda at all or not is actually as a deterrent to basically to say to people, it's not worth making this journey because you'll get across the channel, but then you'll be put on a plane and go to Rwanda. And how much is this deal going to cost? Is it really any cheaper than processing asylum applications on UK soil? 
Well, they're paying the Rwandans 120 million up front just to get the scheme up and running. But then they're going to have to pay for it, uh, you know, after that. And it, uh, you know, the estimates say that it's going to cost 20 or 30,000 per person. It certainly doesn't seem to be a cost effective way of doing things. Of course, what the government would argue is if you have fewer people coming because of the deterrent effect, then actually it is a saving in the end. What makes this program different to other countries is, as you've mentioned, they're not just outsourcing the asylum processing procedure. The UK is effectively exporting its asylum responsibilities to another country. Can you just talk me through that? Yeah, it's, it's not clear, by the way, that any of this is legal, according to the um, you know, the international legislation and agreements with regard to asylum and refugees. But what they are doing is effectively, as you say, what they're uh, they're going to export their problem. That uh, and I think when the uh, the scheme was announced, most people thought that they were going to do something quite similar to what they did in Australia, where they processed people offshore, and then that people who didn't uh, get asylum would be sent back to wherever they came from, but those people who did would be brought to Australia and would live there. And then it emerged that actually, no, you are going to be in Rwanda. The British government says that they're going to provide some finance and some funding to make sure that these people will be able to have access to education and to be able to start a new life in Rwanda. But it is effectively uh, exporting the entire problem. Today, the United Kingdom and Rwanda have signed a joint new migration and economic development partnership to put an end to this deadly trade in people smuggling. How is the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, who announced this agreement from Kigali in Rwanda, how is she defending and justifying this deal? And why does she say it's needed? First of all, that Rwanda is a safe country and that uh, they've got all kinds of safeguards and that Rwanda has got similar kinds of arrangements with other countries. It does have an arrangement with Israel and they're talking to Denmark about some kind of arrangement and so that it has a record of uh, treating people properly and that the general human rights record of Rwanda has nothing to do with anything. She also says that actually that the, uh, she pointed, you know, she focuses very much on the idea of trying to combat people smuggling. And she says that this is an effective way. People have tried other things. And so Priti Patel's argument is that if you think this is a bad idea, come up with a better idea as to how you do this and how you deter people. And of course, the other thing that she says, and that a lot of conservative uh, politicians say is, these people are coming from France. They could claim asylum in France. And France is definitely a safe country. And part of this, of course, is the fact that the French and the British have not found a way of working together in such a way that this problem is kept uh, over in France. Because the French say that really that what Britain ought to do is to provide a, a legal route. Uh, you know, so that people actually can apply from abroad to asylum, for asylum. Whereas as of now, the only way you can apply for asylum is if you arrive here. As you've mentioned, Priti Patel says the deal will put people smugglers out of business, but opposition have argued it will only exacerbate the problem and it will put more lives at danger and create suffering and chaos. So who is correct? Well, I think that obviously there is a chance that this will act as a deterrent and that uh, people will be less inclined to come over. The problem is that those people who do come over will disappear. In, uh, they're not going to apply for asylum possibly because you know they're going to uh, be sent off somewhere else. And so that I think that there is a danger that they become uh, more dependent 
on these criminal groups that have maybe uh, facilitated their arrival in Britain. And so I think that it's really not clear just yet what the impact of this is going to be. Uh, but I think certainly the, that those people who are uh, experts and who have dealt in this field say that this is a dangerous policy and that it won't solve the problem and that it actually doesn't put the interests of the people who are seeking refuge first. There have already been reports of people withdrawing their asylum applications in the UK for fear of being sent to Rwanda straight away, while others are considering going into hiding. What do we know about how the UK's immigrant population is responding to the news of the deal? Immigrants and asylum seekers in Britain are feeling very fearful about this because they don't know what's going to happen. Many of these people have gone through great hardship over a very long period to get to the point where they are now. And they now fear that they're going to be uprooted and any chance of having any kind of a life here is going to be snatched away from them and they then will be sent to Rwanda. And I think the danger is that they will go underground. Obviously, when people do go underground and they're afraid of being found by the authorities, it means they can't access some of the services that they might, like healthcare, and it also means they are more dependent on a kind of a shadow economy and a shadow world of uh, you know of criminals, really. And so, I think it is a you know it puts people in a very very dangerous position. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. Hey! Get out of here! I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. And I just want to say something about Rwanda, because I think there's a risk of, of stereotyping here. And uh, it, uh, Rwanda has is totally transformed uh, over the last uh, few decades. It's, it's a very, very different country uh, from what it was. Three decades after a genocide that left a million people dead, is Rwanda really ready to be a safe haven for refugees? Sally Hayden, who reports from Africa for the Irish Times, was there recently. What were your initial thoughts when you heard about the UK Home Secretary Priti Patel's Rwanda deal? I mean, in one sense, I was pretty shocked like everybody else and in another sense I wasn't surprised because there have been previous slightly similar deals particularly the Israel deal which happened between 2014 and 2017 and then more recently uh, the EU has been uh, funding the transfer of people from Libya to Rwanda. That's a slightly different situation because it like generally those people are moved on so it's asylum seekers stuck in Libya then they're moved on to western countries but I mean Rwanda has kind of shown itself to be open to this sort of deal and also I mean in a in a terrible way it makes sense for um both the UK and Rwanda they both would get something out of this. So what does Rwanda get out of this? What does its president uh, Paul Kagame see as beneficial to taking part in this project? 
So Polkagami, um, I'm sure many listeners know, has been effectively in charge of Rwanda since 1994, since the end of the Rwandan genocide. You know, he's an authoritarian, he's a dictator, basically. There isn't a free civil society in Rwanda, there isn't uh, opposition, at least that don't get harassed, there isn't a free media and there are human rights abuses as well. So for him, it's a way of kind of whitewashing or avoiding scrutiny of other things happening in the country. Sally, you traveled to Rwanda in 2019 to speak with some of the asylum seekers who had been relocated there from Libya. What did they tell you about their treatment in the country? Yeah, so I mean, that was right at the beginning of that deal. And I think that there were efforts being made to make sure that, you know, that people didn't have major complaints. But, you know, the big issue with Rwanda is that the scrutiny doesn't exist. So I went there 20, November 2019. I then tried to get access to Gashura, the camp where uh, the refugees who had been taken from Libya were being kept. And I was basically kind of stonewalled and they kept saying, oh, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. And eventually they told me that, no, I should never have expected to be able to get that access. I actually had contacts among the refugees, so I managed to meet them separately. And what they said was basically that they felt like they were again being used as kind of a political football and also that everybody basically was getting some sort of benefit from them. They felt that the Rwandans were trying to get political capital out of it, basically, and that people were making money on them again. And they were actually supposed to be moved on, but they hadn't been given information as to how this would work, how long they'd stay there. And so they were getting more and more uh, upset about this. And I know that then various measures were brought in, like they were told that they couldn't hold meetings together anymore, which was kind of the way that they discuss their issues and how they were feeling. And it became a lot more controlled, which people, you know, they had been through a lot of trauma already. So they were having a lot of difficulties with. The following year, April 2020, I actually reported on what was an allegation of sexual assault by a police chief in the camp, a Rwandan police chief against a minor refugee boy. He basically said that this had happened, but what ha- what happened afterwards, and I actually didn't report this for quite a while because I was waiting to see was there going to be an investigation internally, you know. And I had spoken to someone in the government about it and they said there'd be an investigation. But instead what happened was the Rwandan police force came out on Twitter and said that this boy was lying. There wasn't help given for him. The police chief that he had accused stayed in power. And so it just kind of shows you the way that... I don't know that people are treated there in a a sense that if there isn't this freedom of speech, there isn't a proper investigation into allegations, scrutiny is being banned. That's a major issue, isn't it? And what about other deals similar to this? You've mentioned the deal between Rwanda and Israel, where Eritrean refugees were sent to Rwanda. And then back in 2014, Australia struck a very controversial deal with Cambodia. How did they work out? 
The Australia-Cambodia deal is a funny one. I forget the exact figures of it, but I actually reported on this too. I met the one remaining man who stayed in Cambodia after they were transferred there. It was the same. It's just throwing huge amounts of money at an issue that is then not making people's lives better. So you're spending, like the the UK deal is an initial payment of £120 million. And that's, you know, a huge amount of money that will not necessarily actually be transferred down to the people who it's being spent on if that makes sense and I think it's worth saying I mean Rwanda it's one of the most densely populated countries in the world it's still poor you know it's not a middle income country you know the standard of living for a lot of people is is not particularly good plus you have a very traumatized population (laughs) and adding more people there on top of that who are also very traumatized is potentially going to compound a lot of issues. Sally, you recently wrote an op-ed about how Boris Johnson's rhetoric regarding migrants, quote, jumping the queue was misleading and that you wrote there was no such queue. Why is that? Why did you write that? Because um, you hear this again and again, you know, this idea of there being a queue and queue jumpers. The reality is that if you have a refugee claim and you can get onto a territory, then you can have your international right to protection recognized. And so the way that it works right now, you know, once you are on a country, then you are legally entitled to be there if you have your claim heard and it is recognized under international law. It doesn't matter how a person enters that country, but we have this idea of queue jumping and I guess what they're referring to is refugee resettlement. And I know that the British Refugee Council said last year around Uh, 1,500 refugees were resettled, and in the world we have 26 million. So first of all, that's a tiny number. Secondly, they tend to, for political reasons, particularly different countries choose different nationalities of refugees to resettle. So my understanding is that the vast majority of those were Middle Eastern refugees. So they're not Africans, which seems to be largely what Boris Johnson is now referring to in terms of people to send to Rwanda. Then you have issues around, I mean, I've reported on this, not to plug my book, but it's also in my book, issues around corruption in the resettlement process. So you have a very small number of resettlement slots offered, but then there are huge allegations that a lot of those processes are corrupt or else the people who need them that they can't access them as well. They don't feel like this is a fair system, you know. And that it doesn't necessarily go to the most vulnerable people as well. I mean, that's what I've reported on in Sudan, that there were allegations that that uh, UN, UN refugee agency staff were taking bribes of uh, around up to $20,000 to resettle families. They did end up finding one person guilty of that. Like one staff member was found guilty of soliciting bribes and abusing power. So there are issues in terms of how these things are processed as well. Um, And there's also not a lot of trust in them. So it's basically like a golden ticket. You know, if you can get refugee resettlement, it's like a golden ticket. But the chances of you getting it are so tiny and they're not just based on your personal circumstance it's based on whether you can access the people that can help you with that whether you know that's been done officially or or not sally hayden thank you so much for your time (laughs) 
Janice, returning to the UK perspective around this controversial new plan, it's already drawn lots of criticism, including from the Archbishop of Canterbury. But do we know how the British public feel about it? Well, there was a YouGov poll that came out uh, just around the time that this was announced, and it found that about 35% of people supported this idea of sending asylum seekers to Rwanda and about 42% opposed it, with 23% saying that they didn't know. And so that suggests that there's a kind of a mixed feelings about this, at least. And so it doesn't have the overwhelming support of people. But that support for it, obviously, it went up among conservative voters. And if these are the target for this policy, then it probably is a net plus from the government's point of view. I think if you think about sort of why this might be the case. I think it is partly to do with the fact that the details aren't clear. And it's also to do with the fact that uh, the record of the government is of not being very good at delivering on things. And so I think that the public tends to be sceptical when they hear about these, uh, the latest wheeze that the government comes out with as to how they're going to solve some big problem, because they just generally haven't been uh, able to follow through. So I think that probably the mixed feelings also reflect a certain scepticism about uh, whether the government's actually going to succeed in doing this. In a way, part of the politics of this uh, entire move is that for the government and for Boris Johnson, you're picking a fight where you get all the kind of people you want to get complaining about it. And so, for example, uh, the thing has been announced now, legislation will be brought forward. Because the government has a majority in the House of Commons, it'll probably pass there. But then it goes to the House of Lords, where it's likely to be amended at least. Then there'll be a whole to and fro between the Lords and the Commons. It could be that the Lords delays it, in which case the uh, the government will say these unelected peers are uh, preventing the government from doing what the people want. You'll have human rights lawyers taking cases against it. And again, these are all the kind of enemies that the government wants in a culture war. And so the question of, in a way, whether anybody ever goes to Rwanda or not is almost irrelevant for the government's political purposes. Opposition figures have accused Boris Johnson of using this Rwanda announcement as a means of distracting the public after he and the Chancellor Rishi Sunak were given fines for breaking COVID laws. Is that a fair assessment of what's going on here? I think it is certainly part of it. Now, the, you know, what the government will say is they've been working on this for quite some time. They've been negotiating with the Rwandans and so that it's not just a political uh, move. But the fact is that uh, Boris Johnson is under huge pressure himself. His chancellor, likewise, they were both fined for a lockdown breaking event in Downing Street. Rishi Sunak is under pressure over his wife's tax status. And the government generally is behind in the polls and they have uh, these local elections coming up. And so what you have seen is that you've had a kind of an announcement today about things that uh, appeal to the Conservative Party base. And in local elections, they tend to be elections which has a low turnout. And so the way in which you do well is that you motivate your own people to come out and to turn out to vote. And Conservative voters are generally unmotivated because they're not very happy with the government for other reasons. So you had Nadine Dorries announcing that uh, she was going to privatise Channel 4 and a lot of Conservative voters regard Channel 4 as left-wing. And so that was that hit a button. You've got this Rwanda announcement. You've had some announcements, for example, where uh, the government have been speaking about trying to uh, roll back 
the rights of transgender people. And so you've got this kind of general witch hunt against trans people here. And they've been feeding into that. You uh, Just uh, the other day, uh, the health secretary said that he was going to launch an investigation into how the National Health Service uh, treats uh, transgender kids. And so there's, you know, all of these things are hot button issues that help to motivate that conservative base. And this is certainly part of that grid, as it were, as well. That's all for today. My thanks to our guests, Dennis Staunton and Sally Hayden. And you can read more from Dennis and Sally on the UK Rwanda deal at irishtimes.com. Today's episode was produced by Declan Conlon and Jennifer Ryan. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.